Welcome to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. Hope you had a wonderful week. And today we are doing a discussion podcast with Pastor Mike Tonks. He's a wonderful friend of ours, and um, it's really, really cool to have you sh- have you on the show. How you doing, Mike? Oh, it's really great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's such an honor to have you on the show. Many people in our church um, rave about your teachings, and um, you keep you keep yourself humble, and that's <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's that's a, good. I would I'd find that pretty hard. Um, I'd get very prideful. <laughs> Having <laughs> oh. the amount of knowledge that you have, um, it's it's really really cool, and I mean it's awesome to be able to to be such close friends with you as well. Um, you too, man. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so we've got so many different topics that we can go over. Yeah, you know, um, you and I were just chatting before the podcast started, and we've got topics on the rapture, the original sin, evolution. Um, Ravi Zacharias and, and that dilemma, um, maybe like even if Satan can be redeemed, um, lots, lots and lots to go through. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, I'm keen to have a chat on the rapture to start with. Great. Yeah? Sounds good. Yeah, far away. So, um, what is it? Would you be able to explain to our listeners what we should expect if somebody mentions the word rapture? Mm. What is something that should come to mind? What does that look like? Um, seems like a very foreign word. Nobody mm. really says rapture mm. in a daily sentence, yes. Yes, <laughs> in a no. daily conversation. That's right, that's right. I always think of raptor yeah, of right. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Velociraptors. Oh, no, there's raptors. <laughs> Velociraptors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. This is where all the dinosaurs just up and disappear. That's it. Velociraptors. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good question, though, and um, you're quite right. It's not a, not a common word that we use. And, uh, in fact, it's probably one of the more debated aspects of biblical theology, Um Eschatology is, is the study of end times, and um, a lot of people who don't necessarily believe in a rapture event, one of their arguments is that the word rapture isn't in the Bible, mm. uh, and they are correct in that, um, but the word Bible isn't in the Bible either. Yeah, true. Nor is the term <laughs> second coming or millennial reign or yeah. trinity, you know, lo- lots of these things, and they, these are terms Is that, millennial reign not in there? No. Huh. Not as a term. Yeah, yeah. Um but the event is, right, and these yeah. are the terms we've given those events right, just to okay. kind of encapsulate. Just so we know what we're talking about. You don't have to explain the event every time you're talking about yeah. people disappearing all over the planet. I mean, that's a mouthful every time. Oh, yeah, and that's right. <laughs> and, and that's essentially what we read in Scripture. In fact, it's um, probably the easiest way to do this is to read what the Scripture says. And uh, it says here in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, one of the more famous rapture verses, And it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but Mm. we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, speaking of people who are alive, will be changed. And then verse 53 goes on to tell us why. It says, Because this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Mm. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 goes further into it, probably the most famous rapture verse. And once we've read through it, we can kind of, yeah, dig into it a bit more. Mm. But it says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, which is an idiom of uh, people who had died who who had come to Christ. Yeah. 
lest we sorrow as others who have no hope. It says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So this mm. is kind of a, a mirroring of 1 Corinthians that we just read. Then it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So what we're talking about here is an event that happens at the coming of Christ. Mm. And he's basically saying that those who die in Christ are not really dead because they will be raised. There is a resurrection to come. Right, and and I heard you say that they are asleep in Christ as well. So... Just to clarify, does that mean uh, when we're sleeping, when we're dead, it, it's it's like we're asleep? I think so. I, I think what they're trying to point to there is that when we fall asleep naturally, uh, we know that we're going to wake up in the mm. morning. And so by all appearances at night, our bodies are just dead and active. Mm. But there's going to be a waking point. Mm. And so I think they give that picture to this resurrection to say, hey, though they're in the grave, they're not really forever dead because mm. they, they will be raised, just like we wake up in the morning. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Mm. Um, and so the, all these people that are dead, uh, do you think that they're, you know, they're running around in heaven today or that they are almost like an like unconscious, uh, like a dreamless sleep, or are they dead with dreams uh, temporarily until the resurrection, until this raptor mm. or rapture <laughs> event? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Until the dinosaurs come back, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's a huge question and one that I don't have absolute clarity on. I, I can only really point to clues we get in Scripture. Um, mm. I mean, I look to the story that Jesus told of Lazarus and Abraham, yeah. you know, and this wasn't a parable. He, he didn't start that by saying the kingdom of God is like. Yeah. This is a story, uh, people that he actually referred to names and places. Mm. Um, so very literal language that he's using. And... He, he he's recording their interactions mm. between people who had died, who are now in Abraham's bosom, and others who died and are on the other side of that chasm. Yeah. And they're alive, they're conscious, they're interacting, they can remember their lives on earth. Yeah. And so this was a guy who died seemingly in Jesus' time. So mm. by that account, I guess we have a precedent to say that, hey, when people die all throughout history, uh, they are in living in an eternal state consciously now. Mm, right. um, however, because, someone so, the opposite. Because you also mentioned um, there's a new body, you know, like you are stripped of the corrupted body and, you, and you're given a new one that is incorruptible. Mm. So here's a question. When we do die um, and we are, you know, just spirit, we have no body up until that resurrection point or do we get that new body early um do we all get it at the same time and the twinkling of an eye um you know many many it, i mean it could be almost all of that mm. couldn't it yeah because well, the other the other dynamic that plays into that question is how time is experienced for them mm. for those that died a thousand years ago have they felt a thousand years go by as we would well i think or, it's like sleeping I mean, when you sleep, it does not feel like you're yeah. you're lying there for eight hours. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like a 
like you've just closed your eyes yeah. and bang lights and there on we go. exactly yeah so it could very well be that and maybe that's why they use that example mm. yeah it's it's hard to know i do know that time operates differently in heaven there yeah. essentially is no time yeah so how that's experienced by them i'm not entirely sure wow except to say that when we do get our new bodies i think the best picture we have of that is christ's own resurrection body mm. you know it looked the same it was physical yeah. you could touch it interact with it but it had new physical capabilities that he didn't yeah. demonstrate prior to yeah cross, true you know? yeah because he had the he had um you know the holes in his hands mm. um so, I mean, like I got this mole on my back that I do not want for eternity. <laughs> Is that going to be there? <laughs> Interesting question. I mean, <laughs> it says that the bodies we get are going to be incorruptible. Yeah, so, so moles of corruption. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe it's a beauty spot, you know. You yeah, it's true. <laughs> you never know. It's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, and the fact that we could see the evidence of Jesus' life prior to the cross, yeah. in the sense of the you know the holes in his hand and his feet, mm. uh, that says that we, we carry on the same likeness. Mm. We, mm. we recognize each other. Um, That's so true. Yeah, so it's the whole heavenly body thing and being renewed and, and resurrected, it's, it's quite an enigma. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's an exciting thing. And, and this is why Paul says to comfort one another with these words, and it's part of our blessed hope. Mm. This is what we've got to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the, you're saying in that scripture, was it Corinthians? Yeah, one of them was, yep. Yeah, um, the getting a new body and all that and being in, in a flash, you know. Um, a lot of people look at that as uh, that's, that's the rapture point, isn't it? Mm. That's the moment that everybody's caught up and taken. Yes, and that comes back to that first question you asked about, you know, the word rapture. It says in verse seventeen of one Thessalonians four, it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Mm, that's and right. That term in the Greek is harpazo. H A R P A Z O. And that's where we get the word rapture from. Mm. It means to be forcibly caught up or yeah. taken up wow. in an instant of time. And so this is why there are these movies like Nicolas Cage's Left Behind, you know, mm. were written by um Larry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, this whole book series, um, the only kind of way they can picture such an event as described here is this mass disappearance, which sounds absolutely fantastical. It just sounds so bizarre. Yeah. And yet I'd, I'm not sure of how else to picture what he's describing here, mm. you know, and, and whether we are, you know, the way, the way they picture it is that your clothes just drop to the ground and mm. you're gone. Yeah, maybe our bodies stay here because we have to be changed. I don't know. It's it was one of the most sobering movies I've seen. <laughs> to like get a, <laughs> it's terrifying to imagine you just sitting here and then boom, like this person just disappears in front of you, mm. and yeah, that feeling left behind, mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just terrifying. And um, but. That one might not be entirely accurate, the, the picture of that, because uh, we we get a new body, so our old bodies are probably left behind. And Quite possibly. Yeah. And I, I think when it Which comes... Which would be a bit scary, all these dead bodies instead well, of... Well, that's almost what I say. <laughs> They're just the clothes hanging around. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's yeah, just it's... COVID. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh the, about that. Imagine all but... the free clothes you could get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. And I think one thing I'd say to that, as to most things, when it comes to this kind of end times and speculating, is that you know I wouldn't hold too tightly 
uh, to the views we take. Mm. We only see in part on these things. Yeah. And I'm always reminded of the fact that the Jews, prior to Jesus coming, they were the experts on what the Scriptures said about mm. the Messiah. So they knew the word, and yet they had a completely different picture and mm. what they expected. Yeah. And so I just think, you know, we'd be wise to say, well, this is the best. We see the best we can with the light that we have now. Yeah. But God's still revealing these things, and it might look a lot different to what we think. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, I mean, I always think of different movies that, you know, people disappearing. And one of the main ones that comes to my mind is, um, you know, in Avengers, mm. the snap. Fifty oh, percent yeah. of everybody just fading away. Mm. Um, it could look like that as well. Mm. Like mm. as a bit, a bit creepier, becoming, and that's the dust returning to dust. Yeah, sort of look yes. to it as well. Um, yes, and yeah, it's amazing how many different movies and stuff today have all these kind of biblical things going on mm. and, and a lot of them. I mean, one with aliens and mm. gods and all, all those sort of things, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and we do want to talk about aliens and gods and stuff with you um, mm-hmm. at some point on the podcast as well because mm, we've had some great conversations on abductions and uh, thoughts on that. Um, but, yeah, let me just segue to the rapture. So the event looks like everybody just, well, Christians disappearing all over the planet, right? That's In some form, mm. whether it's dusty or whether it's uh, a flash or whether they all die and their, bo- well, their bodies are left. Um, do all the Christians get raptured or is it just like the good Christians? Mm. Mm. <laughs> the well-behaved such, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is such an interesting point and... And honestly, I don't hold a firm position on that because, frankly, I, I don't know. So I, I wouldn't – what I'm about to say, I wouldn't say is teaching. Yeah. I'm going to speculate on on, yeah. on this because there are a couple of different views and good arguments both ways. Just for everybody listening, this is all um, speculation. Mm. So we're not affirming anything. These are, this is just a healthy discussion on thoughts and theories and um, – some interesting uh, things that people have said and that what we've read. Mm. But please, if you are listening to this, make sure that you pray to the Holy Spirit mm. and you seek his wisdom mm. and read your Bible. And, yeah, above all else, give it to God and have an open heart. But okay. don't don't take what we're saying as the Word of God. Mm. Take the Bible as the Word of God. That's it. That's <laughs> it. These are just the extrapolations of our thoughts of what Scripture says. But uh, really, it's the Holy Spirit who... Shows us what all truth is, right? Yes. So absolutely. Well put. Um, what was your question, sorry? question was, do all Christians get raptured? Yes, right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm a, you know, we read all through the New Testament and there's a huge emphasis on how when we come to Christ and we repent of our sin and he makes us a new creation, mm. there is so much emphasis on the fact that we have put on his righteousness. mm and this is not of our works as any man should boast. It is we're, we're covered in his righteousness, even as we're working out our salvation. Right. There's still a command to be holy and to have behavioral holiness. Yeah. Um, but we've, our nature has changed from being from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You know, Absolutely. Hopelessly lost, and now we're found. And so we've got this righteousness that is in Christ. 
And so some would say, well, on that basis, uh, every Christian, every saved person goes in the rapture because it is Christ's righteousness alone. Mm. And I think that's a fantastic view. Um, At the same time, Jesus gives us parables such as the one in Matthew 25 of the five wise and five foolish virgins. Mm. And uh, there are varying views on who is in question there. Is that the Jews and Gentiles? Is that the the church? Um, But what we do know is that there are a group of people and all of them are waiting Mm. for the bridegroom. So this is not the world in focus. This is, at the very least, it is the church and possibly even the Jewish people and waiting for the bridegroom to come, waiting for the Messiah. And it shows us in no unclear terms that all of them were actually asleep right until the last moment. And even mm. the ones that woke at the last moment, only half of them, five out of the ten, had their oils. Yeah. Had the oil in their lamps. What does the oil and, and the lamps signify? Usually the, the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. Yeah, oil being a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why some would say, well, the, the ones with the oil full are the, are the New Testament church. Those who are filled with the Spirit, those mm. who are asleep, um, are, the, are the Jewish people who haven't right. accepted Christ. Or it could be that these are the ones who have been saved and are Christians but have essentially fallen asleep. Mm. They're not seeking Jesus. They're not reading in, the, in their word. Like you said, not seeking the Holy Spirit, just kind of cruising along. And, and there's a verse in Corinthians um, which kind of deals with the fact that our works, even as Christians, our works get judged. Mm. They're tested by fire, and some come out with gold and precious stones, and some mm. are burned away to nothing. It says, "You yourself will still be saved, yeah. yet as though through fire." In other words, you got nothing to show for it in eternity, yeah. Except you've got to heaven because that was Jesus' work, right? Yeah, yeah. And but our work determines the reward in heaven. Yeah. And uh, so, so on that basis, there is an argument to say that actually the rapture is not necessarily for all saved people, but right. the bride, as in the one who kept her dress pure. Yeah, who who is spotless, you know, without wrinkle, who mm. kept themselves for Christ, kept themselves awake, was seeking God, and so there's a subset of the church that goes. Mm. Um, right. That is one view, and I think the jury is out on that. We'll see, because <laughs> the whole rapture and, and and everything, it's all to do with um, yeah, uh, you said about the being the bridegroom, you know, like Jesus is the bridegroom, and um, and the church is the bride, and mm. That brings me into um, everything's a marriage story. Mm-hmm. The, the whole Bible is just based on this amazing, beautiful story of, of, of a wedding, mm. um, of engagement to um, the wedding feast, you know. Mm. Um, so when when you got all these these virgins and things like that, the Bible talks about, and the, and that's referencing us as the church, um, that we are set aside and and essentially engaged to Christ. Um, uh, I just want to ask you about that the original sin, uh, because being being engaged to Christ with with the rapture and all that involved, um. And and it talks about these virgins being waiting for their bride and all that. Like the only thing is to do with uh, with sex, really, isn't it? Um, to go onto a, a funny topic, but um, we've both read this theory on uh, the original sin actually being one of a of a sexual encounter. Mm. Um, and would you be able to? I mean, this this is probably a whole podcast in itself, mm-hmm. um, but. I think understanding 
what it means to be a virgin in Christ's mm. eyes, what that looks like, um, and the reason God constantly uses these, these, this virgin image mm. all the time throughout Scripture. Mm. You know, like it's this purity, this why is he constantly doing that? And then it, like the Bible talks about us being the bride and the bridegroom and um, mm. the whole thing just seems like this massive wedding, mm. yet you never see the wedding. Mm. Like it's constantly referring to like all these wedding things, mm. but mm. where's the wedding and why does it look like that? And and also the original sin, was the guy really eating an apple? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. if the whole thing's about a wedding, mm. I think it makes more sense, not that we are affirming this, um, but it's, the idea is that the original sin was potentially a sexual one. Mm. They weren't naked. Well, that's it. <laughs> caught, and, caught in the act. Well, that's it, right? <laughs> and both of them would, probably would have been really good looking. So, I mean, it's understandable, mm. right? <laughs> True. Yeah, you're right. This, the whole narrative of Scripture and, and, and Christ in the church and everything, it's, it's about covenant. God's got a covenant, and a wedding is our kind of best frame of reference for what a lifelong covenant looks like. Mm, yeah. And to your question about where is the wedding, I mean, that's the future. We're, we're betrothed to Christ now, mm. but the wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb is still to come. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it, there's this interesting thing that runs throughout, and even you notice that God seems to deal particularly harshly with sexual sin mm. above others. Which raises another question which might be good to address just before we jump into the original one because some people would say, well, you know, why why do why does God seem to or why does the church even seem to deal with sexual sin as though it's any worse than any others? You know, like mm. surely all sin is the same. And yeah. To that I would say Well, all sin separates us from God, doesn't it? Right. So, so in that all sense sin it's is the same. same. Yes. In that sense. Absolutely right. All sin is the same in that it separates us from God, no matter yeah. how small it would be. But that said, even God himself rates severity yeah. of different sins. He's got things that he hates. Yeah. The things that the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Mm. Uh, things that he calls abomination, you know, and, and included in all of those are sexual sin. In fact, we only ever see him destroying cities over essentially sexual sin. Yeah. So yeah. this lends into the idea of this original sin. And um so yeah, like you said, this isn't this isn't teaching or necessarily affirming this, but just to explore some clues that Scripture gives us that might point us to this. And personally, I hold this position in the sense of I think this is probably what it's talking about. Yeah. Um, but again, I hold it lightly. And yeah. yeah. But let's, let's jump into that because I think if we're going to make a claim like that, um, we have to substantiate that with the Word, right? Yeah, Not yeah, for thoughts. sure. And so the first thing I'd say there is, just to give that some background, like the book of Genesis is such an interesting book and there are some people who say that genesis is all metaphor it's all poetic it's all just you know it's not meant to be an actual scientific account it's just poetry language and you know it's just getting a point across others say it is all literal and it's all mm. completely scientific personally um i take the creation account literally however i completely acknowledge there are metaphoric elements in it and I think that's a good balanced approach. And, and and really, how we know... So are you saying that the creation account of the six days of creation, literal or metaphorical? I, I believe six days. I believe it could have been six seconds. I mean, God is God, mm. can do things in any length of time. But the Jewish word for day there is Y-O-W-M, and it literally just means space of time. 
Right, okay. So, so that's the English translation that's sort of throwing us out. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. And, uh, you know, so it's six spaces of time. Yeah. It's like how we in English would say, oh, look, back in those days. Mm. We're not saying back in those 24-hour periods. Mm. We're saying back in that time. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing here. In fact, we don't even have a sun until the third day. Mm. Yeah, start. so how do you even have days until you and get you to the third day? Period, yeah. You know what I mean? So... I'm not saying it wasn't six days because mm. it totally could have been. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it doesn't have to be. Mm. And we need to be careful about what we choose to be dogmatic about. Yeah. And At the end of the day, it doesn't affect. No. The the big picture is the big picture, right? No. No, like. no absolutely. The, the absolute point is that God created the heavens and the earth. Mm. How he did it, when he did it, how long it took him is kind of secondary. Mm. You know, so um, for sure, we put ourselves at odds with science uh, a lot over things that we don't need to be dogmatic mm. about. You know? Yeah, but anyway, I, I, I back to what it says here in Genesis. How we know which parts are metaphorical? The Bible actually tells us which parts are metaphorical, and I'll unpack that shortly. But I just think you know, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So if something's unclear in one part of the Bible, I think it's got its clarity in another part. You know, it, it answers itself. Mm. And um, but we do see the the use of metaphors all throughout. Um, the scriptures, but especially in Genesis. In fact, this brings us to the trees in the garden, you know, and the rule around eating fruit from the tree. Mm. Now, I think that is metaphorical. This whole eating the apple thing off the tree, the serpent, I think that's all metaphorical. Something definitely happened mm. that caused us to go into sin, but I, I'm not entirely convinced it was as innocent as eating an apple. Because mm. we actually all know what sin is. Yeah. Instinctively. Yeah. And... If we were all to, to label, to do a massive list of sins, nobody's going to argue with mm. what we would clarify as sin. You, well, I mean, everybody's got their own opinion these days. But, um, you know, stealing's a sin and, uh, I don't know, lying's a sin and things like that. But if you throw in eating fruits a sin, you're going to get looked at funny. You know, like mm. it just seems mm. really incredibly random. Mm-hmm. Like that, that happened to be the original. Like when we we instinctively know what right and wrong is, mm. and you wouldn't think that eating fruit's wrong, no. And that even today, eating fruit is not wrong. In fact, it's probably more considered right, yeah, and right. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, anything God says not to do is wrong, and He told them not to do that. Um, yeah. But the reason I'm saying it's possibly metaphorical is because Ezekiel 28 and Ezekiel 31 both uh, tell us that the trees in the garden. Uh, were mer- metaphorical trees, and you can go and read about that. But even Jesus calls us mm. trees, calls himself a rock. Like he's not yeah. using meta- you know, literal language all there. It's, it's metaphorical. But anyway, the reason, the, the six clues as to why this could have been a sin of a sexual nature, I've got six clues here. And uh, I guess, first of all, let's look at Adam and Eve's reaction after the fall. Because before the fall, mm. Genesis 2.25, right, it says Adam and, Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed. Mm, so they knew, they were aware of their nakedness. Yeah, they were not ashamed of it. But immediately after their sin, they became ashamed of their nakedness. And here's the thing: they quickly made a loincloth, not not a clothing of their entire body, a mm. cover just for that for, reproductive yeah. area. Yeah, right. So they were ashamed. They hid themselves. Well, God, God didn't God make that for them? No, they made their fig tree one. Oh, and God yes, later on that's right. Put a whole covering on them, which was yeah. a picture of Christ to come. Yeah. Amazing, all the pictures of Jesus there. and uh, Yeah, and the first sacrifice. Was it like a blood sacrifice? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, an animal had to get slaughtered for that. Yeah. 
which was a picture of the temple sacrifices and ultimately Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I love those things when you start to unpack. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this thing has so many meanings. Oh, man. <laughs> and even how like their own effort in the fig tree is a picture of religion, how our own effort to cover our sin yeah. is not adequate. No. You know? No, it's so true. And so there's some amazing pictures there yeah. of Christ and, and God. But I just think it's interesting that they became ashamed, they hid themselves, and they covered their reproductive area in specific. Mm. And I think that's an unusual response to eating an apple. Yeah. Right? Secondly, you can watch or you can see God's judgment upon Eve. Mm. Because God's judgment on things is usually in proportion and directly related to the sin itself. Mm. And Eve's judgment, as many of you know, is childbirth. Yeah. Uh, childbirth. And Greatly again, increases the... Pain of childbirth. Pain of childbirth. So so of all the things you could have kind of chosen as a judgment, why that? Why the issue of childbirth? Mm. I think that's interesting, especially given that their one by one command was to multiply. So did, what was Adam's did Adam get cursed? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, there was well, yeah, because he, he was cursed to um go work the ground. Oh that's labor, right. yeah. sweat and toil and, yep. and all that. Yeah. Because of course he wasn't deceived. He still sinned, but he wasn't deceived. Number three um, and this is something a lot of people miss in the Genesis account, is that you actually see when God is dealing with them and judging them, you now see two seeds there. You see the seed of Eve, mm. and you see the seed of the serpent. And that's really interesting. He mentions two seeds. mentions two seeds. Because remember, when he's, when he's dealing with Eve there, and again, this is the beauty of God, that even in judgment he's prophesying mm. victory. Because this is where the Messianic prophecy is found. Yeah, you know, true. This, this, through the seed of Eve yep. is going to come one who is going to crush the head of the serpent. Yep. But you'll bite his heel. You know, yep. and it's this whole, okay, he died, but mm. he rose again. and uh, and But he said he will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So the question arises there is why there's two seeds, who is the seed of the serpent? And I think we see more of that evidence later in Genesis 6. Um, but also it's unusual to refer to Eve with seed because biologically speaking, men carry the seed, not True. the woman. But yeah. again, this was a throw forward to Christ. Mm. And there's a whole study you can do about how Christ was the seed. Right, and, uh, okay. And, and even how he was sown into the earth, mm. died and, and, and rose again. So there's yeah. a seed That's thing. That's cool imagery, eh? Very. I mean, kind of sounds like a tree. Yeah, right. Doesn't it? There's all we're, talk, tree we're talking about there. trees, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, planting Jesus. Yep. I mean, he hanged on a tree too, didn't he? That's right. And then number four, and this is particularly um, provocative. Remember Eve's quote to the serpent? Because she said to the serpent, she said, God has, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. Now, mm. Eve was actually misquoting what God said there. Yeah. Well, that's what we commonly think. Because God never said you shan't touch it. He said you shan't eat of it. Yeah. So we often go, oh, she didn't hear it firsthand. She's adding to it. Mm. And I, I don't know if that washes because, I mean, here is Eve, the mother of all living, the Bible says, walking daily with God face to face. And I don't think there was a miscommunication around the one command they had. Mm. She's not that dumb. You know what I mean? Like We, we shouldn't patronize her to that. I, 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 I just think she's not misquoting him, I don't think. I think she's actually here giving us some more insight into the nature of the command what to do with this tree because the word for touch that she used there was the Hebrew word naga, N-A-G-A, which means to touch improperly either by violence or sexually. 
Oh, wow. And it's actually used in the context of laying with a woman. And you can see that used all throughout the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so that's the word she chose to use. Huh. Now, again, that does not connect with a fruit. Well, right. yeah, you don't want to sexually touch fruit. That's right. That's just wrong. Weird. Yep. <laughs> and so we see another clue here of going, okay, is there something more going on here? The next point, Ezekiel 28, it describes Lucifer as being the profane one. This is verse 16 of Ezekiel 28, which means defiled or disgraced. And it's the Hebrew word chalal, C-H-A-L-A-L. And the most frequent use of this word throughout the Old Testament is in relation to defilement from sexual acts. Wow. And that's how it describes the sin of Lucifer. Yeah. Which is interesting, again. And we see it, I've got a whole list of uh, verses here, I won't go through them, of, of where this word is used, but you can look them up in a Strong's Concordance. And uh, epithumia was the, the Greek word for this in the New Testament, uh, the equivalent, and um, always used for sexual sin. And uh, so anyway, I just think it's just really interesting. And Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, links the purity of virginity and the loss of this virginity mm. through lust, and he links it straight to Eve. Right. Because he's talking about how the original sin was the, the lust of the eyes yeah, and, and the lust of the flesh. Yeah, true. And again, it's like, well, how does that relate to yeah. a fruit? And uh, it, it does say that it's pleasing, was it pleasing to eat or something? Desirable yeah. to eat? Yeah. What does that mean? Like Desirable to partake. Desirable right, to yeah. Commune yep. with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, um, sin, uh, like sexual sin in today's day and age, is definitely the most dominant. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, you've you got Christians as well that um, that really, really struggle with, you know, the sex before marriage mm. thing, you know. And, and that's not even debated in Christianity, you know, like mm. Don't, mm. don't do that. But why is it? That we all struggle to do the, like, that one's just, it's so highly regarded, mm. you know? Mm. Almost like a sacred sin. Well, it is sacred to God because God has got a covenant and the act of sex is the consummation of a covenant. Mm. And so this is essentially why the sin in the garden wasn't just one physical act. It was entering covenant yeah. with someone other than God. Yeah. And and that was the issue. Yeah. And uh, I think this actual same issue goes right forward to the mark of the beast, but it's a whole other discussion. But, I mean, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about how we should flee from sexual immorality, as we know. But this is what he says, which is interesting. He said, every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. Wow. Sexual immorality, it says, it's a sin against his own body. Yes. And then he goes on to say, don't you know that your body is a temple? Yeah. You know? So glorify God in your body. Yeah. So... I just think, you know, before we get to the last point, that this would connect because sexual sin has been the cancer of humanity since. Mm. All throughout we've struggled with it in every generation. Yeah, it fully shares and shows the the protection that a husband has for the wife mm. as Christ has for his church. Mm. You know, like mm. going to the cross for that. Like that's a that love for us is very, very vivid and very, very clear that, you know, a loving husband would do that. You know, they would go to the ends of the earth for the for their their love. You know, like Christ doesn't just 
love us as really, really, really good friends. Mm. You know, like it's so much deeper than that. And that's what the that, that covenant is, is, is it's marriage is probably the closest thing we have on this planet to understand how much God loves us. Absolutely. And we're still far off. Absolutely. But like what I would do for my wife and what, and what you would do for Sarah, like it is, I, yeah, I, and it says that uh, God's a jealous God as well. Mm. You know, um, I had a, I had a friend of mine say, um, isn't jealousy a petty emotion for a perfect, mm. all-powerful being? Mm. And, yeah, the only way that I could really word why God was jealous was, like, the jealousy of a husband mm. uh, over their protection over their wife if that wife was to sleep with somebody else. Mm. That's a healthy, holy jealousy, mm. and it's fully enraged with anger. But it is a help if there was no jealousy over that, then that husband wouldn't necessarily love the wife. Mm. But the fact that God loves us and says that He's jealous for us, He's a jealous God, shows that um, that protection covenant over us and like you are my bride, mm. you're my bride, mm. and and adores. The church. Absolutely. It does all, like the, the world actually. We were all destined, for, you know, God wanted all, everybody, no, that nobody shall um, fall away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And if only we understood and could grasp how much God loves us and, oh. and, and the purity we owe him for the price he paid for us. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, just lastly, just before you finish on this particular point, have a read of Ezekiel 31, talking about metaphors and trees. Um, Ezekiel 31, it says of Lucifer that he was the greatest of all the trees in the garden, which is interesting because that would denote that Lucifer wasn't the snake in a tree. He was the mm. tree. This, yeah. The serpent, this nakash, which is in the Hebrew, which actually isn't a snake. It's a, it's a fiery, angelic being. And... Um, so, wow, is that what a, a, they describe them as, a mm, fiery mm, being? Mm. And we see them again in Numbers 23, I think, these fiery, flying, angelic things. But um, well, They call them a dragon in Revelation, don't they? Yeah, lots of imagery surrounding And that's a fiery, flying thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah. angels are fearsome beings, you know, and, and not all angels are the same, not all heavenly creatures are the same. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, Jesus, it says he's a tree of life. Mm. Now, they were barred from the tree of life. Now, that's a picture of sin separating us from Christ. Yes, right? yes. And so, um, I mean, look, there's, there's, as I said at the beginning, there, there are problems with this view. It, it raises other questions, you know, mm. such as when God said you may eat of all the trees in the garden. Mm. What is he saying there if we're saying this is a sexual thing? And, uh, of course, that wasn't an open sexual invitation. That was, mm. you know, There are other beings in the garden with them, heavenly beings, yep. that they could commune with and, and fellowship with, and you can read all about that, eat in the garden of God, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there was one that they would to not go near. And, uh, yeah. So and, he obviously had already fallen at that point. God was like, this guy is just don't don't even bother with him. It's, and he hung around the center, he, which makes sense because there's many scriptures talking about um, like when, when Satan communes with God regarding Job. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's chatting to him. Mm. Hey, I want to go harass this guy. Mm. I bet you he only loves you because you treat him, give him special treatment. Yeah. And so, 
you got the tree of life in the center and then you got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil talking to each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's Jesus and Satan chatting to each other, which is quite an amazing mm. imagery, yeah. you know, like yeah. to know that, yeah, he's just almost like how we chat to each other. Yeah. But on that um, angelic level. Yeah. Yeah, and and that you know one of the questions that raises is why was he in Eden if he had already fallen? But mm. we've got to remember that the garden was in Eden, but Eden was far bigger than the garden. Mm. And when Satan fell, it says they cast him out of the mountain of God. Mm. The mountain, you know, as I said, is the furthest parts of the north. Yeah, uh, Eden was a, a region in. Uh, sorry, the garden was a region in in Eden. Eden. Yeah, and Adam wasn't created in the garden. It said he created him and placed him in the garden. Yeah. You know, and so it might have been they were out of the garden at this interaction point. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's just there's a lot going on there that we don't, mm. our traditional view doesn't quite capture. And yeah. That's all I'm saying. And this is why I love investigating these kind of things because, you know, I just find it interesting getting a real picture mm. of the reality of these beings. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and the interaction of God with them and with us. And I don't know about you, but I always, you know, the Simpsons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a couple of times they do these. Um, special ep- episodes which have like uh, Homer Simpson as Adam and oh, Marge as yeah. Eve, and oh, wow. um, it just <laughs> gives you this real funny, funny look on, on um, what the Garden of Eden, what their illustration was of it. And then when you and I are talking about it now, it's like <laughs> it was way different. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and it's oh, got yeah. Ned Flanders as God. Oh wow, <laughs> gosh. But yeah. um, yeah, it's obviously, yeah, it's obviously vastly different. And I think God's um, not necessarily. I think we'll be quite surprised. Like we we like overcomplicate some hmm. topics sometimes. And um, I think if God were to reveal it, you know, when we get to heaven and He reveals, no, no, no. This, like for example, if the sexual sin was it is true, you know, not, we're not saying it is. We're just saying it's an interesting theory. That's right. And um. You know, if it was true, and God's like, "Well, yeah, it's logical." Mm. You know, like, and and I I fully see it. You mm. know, like how it makes sense because, again, the whole Bible is based on on a on a wedding and, and a marriage covenant. So, if the very first thing that uh, if if you have any movie that is based on a wedding, and if it's got to be a breaking point, mm. you know, at the start that throws everything off, and that mm. that could easily be the deception of of mm. the sexual act with with Satan, mm. and and even Adam being so uh, ashamed mm. of it. Mm. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, when when I've shared my testimony on this podcast before, but um, when I first met my wife, you know, like uh, her and I didn't wait for each other before our wedding day. And um, afterwards, you, you do, when when it describes Adam and Eve, like, covering themselves and things like that, it's amazing how relatable that is yeah. to knowing you've done something outside of covenant. Mm-hmm. And seeing that going, yeah, I actually relate to Adam, to Adam and Eve a lot. And I think many, many people all over the planet can relate to that moment where where they're like, almost like your innocence is gone, you know, like oh, and um, yeah. So I think that it's it's very. I'm I'm, I've been thinking about this for the last few months. Um, 
since you and I talked about it the first time. And um, I'm starting to gravitate towards it for sure. Mm. Um, I do want to ask you uh, for one last question before we finish up is uh, you and I talked the other day about Jesus being tempted. Mm. Um, I think that could be that, that that's an interesting topic in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could be here for a lot longer, but we'll try and do a short, rough summary on what your thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pose a question and um, and see what you think, what your thoughts are. When Jesus was tempted, in I think it's Luke four, um, well, it's in lots of the Gospels, all the Gospels, but in Luke four. He's tempted and he's led by the Spirit. And was he tempted in the same way like we're tempted, being almost like a struggle to resist? Or do you believe that he was tempted in a way that it wasn't really a temptation for him? I mean, I struggle to get my head around this. Mm. And you and I might have different views on it. Um, Because if Jesus is perfect... And somebody tempts you with something, if you find that tempting, is that a potential weakness in your life? Would that reflect God having weakness or not? Mm. I'm not sure. Mm. A very interesting question. And I actually really like your view on it too. So we'll have to talk about that as well. I know the one that I put forward the other day. And again, it's just speculation. But a couple of things. I've always taken the view, but again, open to learning more, is that there was no point to the temptation if there wasn't temptation. Right. And I think it comes down to understanding the fact that Jesus has both a divine nature and a human nature, and I think yeah. his divine nature is untouchable. Yeah. Uh, no way tempted in his divine nature. Yeah. Um, but it was a testing of his flesh. Yeah. And how how he would bring that flesh under subjection of the spirit. Mm. Um, and I think we see another picture of this later on in the garden just before he gets crucified. Mm, Cause he's like sweating blood and he's, yeah. And he's he, like, yeah, he's made this cup pass from me. Yeah. And, and as, as God, he knows he's going to go through it, but in the flesh, understandably, he's like, I, this is horrible. I don't want to do this. And so he's, I don't know if the word battling is the right question. Cause there was never any question. I don't believe Jesus would have ever sinned. It wasn't unwilling. Yeah. You know, like, but I think he was bringing his foot, just like we have to, bring our flesh into the subjection of the spirit. It's like counting the cost. Yeah. You know. He's fully experiencing humanity. Mm. And I think this is why Paul later on says, I think it's Paul, and he says, you know, he was tempted in all points as we are. And this is why he says we don't have a savior um, that is unable to empathize with us in our mm. weakness. Absolutely. And it's like, to me, that would denote that he actually went through temptation. Mm. And, the, and the interesting thing about that is that something is only tempting if there, are desire, if there is a desire yeah. for what is being tempted with. Mm. Um, now, he overcame that temptation and therefore never sinned, of course. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that his human nature has a natural desire, yeah. but he reigned that in. Mm. Um, but then you made a great point as well. which Yeah, I'll share, I'll share my thoughts on it. Um, and, and again... We're not saying either is right or wrong, um, just just thoughts on it. Um, I think <clears throat> Jesus being perfect um, in, in all things, even in his humanity, um, would be similar to um, me tempting you to, uh, I don't know, 
Uh, do you like sports? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what don't you like? What don't I like? <laughs> What's your least favorite sport? Sport? Oh, I'd say cricket. Okay. It's like me saying, hey, Mike, do you want to go to the cricket? Yeah. Now, I'm tempting you with the invitation to go to the cricket, but are you actually tempted to go to the cricket? Not really. So I think that Jesus, Jesus's thoughts on um, being tempted, like Satan tried to tempt him, yet Jesus himself was never tempted mm. by anything. Mm. Um, and his divine, like like just being perfect, um, in the same sense that we're not tempted, well, you know, certain sins, for example, um, you might have somebody who is not tempted with, well, since we were talking about the original sin, for example, um, somebody's not tempted for same-sex mm. uh, attraction. Um, if they were to be offered a sexual encounter, mm. they would be like, no, like they're not even tempted. Mm. Um, and that's just something that I think Jesus uh, was trialed with, yet it would have never been something that he struggled with um, in the decision mm. and in the, the flesh sort of wanting wanting to partake in that. I don't think that Jesus would have been actually tempted mm. personally because mm. mm. um, I like the idea um, of Jesus being totally perfect, mm. um, yet he still got tempted, you know, like, like he walked through those trials with us um, and understands them on a human level, mm. but isn't necessarily uh, like the flesh isn't pulled mm. as much, his flesh anyway. Mm. Mm. Um, but it, he definitely feels the, the effects of sin. Mm. Like he obviously didn't want to die. Mm. You know, like he was sweating blood with anxiety uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he really didn't want to die. You know, like it's one of those things that Jesus is, you know, looking for a way out, uh, another way to do it, and in his human brain sort of like searching mm. and praying into his divine nature, is there a second way to do this? And he's just like, no, there's not. Um, But, yeah, I think it's a cool. I, I love talking about Jesus' divinity, and mm. um, I talked to a pastor up in um, Nelson, probably seven, eight years ago now. Um, and I I asked him, you know, could Jesus die? Because, like, if I had shot Jesus in the head point blank before the crucifixion, would have he actually physically died having no sin? Mm. I don't know. Would the gun just not work? Who mm. knows? Mm. <laughs> would he stop it like Neo in The Matrix? Well, that's it. <laughs> that's it, eh? Because he didn't actually... You know, like he wasn't killed per se. It says he laid his life down. I mm. think he had to give permission to that. Yeah. And many times the people tried to kill him, right? They like they were to him at the top of the cliff, and he says mm. he went, he passed through them because the time wasn't yet. Yeah. So you know, there was a there was a specific date that was the fulfillment of prophecy, and he yeah. did it on that date. So. Yeah. And and he only really died when he became the sin of the world. Yeah. Like until that point, I think that you know he walked through that whole crucifixion in a sense that. Uh, it was something that no man could do, because mm. if man had done it with sin, it would give the it would give death a legal right to take take them out. Mm. Yet Jesus had no sin and was walking through the trials that we went through that we go through, and 
they are so different, like they're, they're so extravagant and, and condemning on our bodies that we would give out. Yeah, mm. Jesus is walking through these trials. Like you got whipped 39 times. Mm. You get whipped 40 times, you're supposed to die. Hamburgers, yeah. yeah. They say that that's like the maximum you're allowed to do. Mm. Yeah, he got whipped and then he got beaten. Mm. So being beaten would be the same as one or two or three whippings, mm. wouldn't it? Surely. So yeah. he's been beaten and whipped from my count like 45 times, which is beyond death. And then dragging the cross up the hill and then being pinned to the cross. And he's still up the cross. For, he's on the cross for ages before he dies. Oh, so he's actually walking death out. Yeah. You know, he is conquering death. It literally says he conquered death. So mm-hmm. you got this person that could not die going through that his body would, would not let him stop breathing until the moment that he decided was his last breath when he became the sin of the world. Like, it's just incredible. Oh, and, and if you think about, like, the, you know, the weight of our own sin, and yet he took the sin of the whole world, yeah, past, present, future, I just think the magnitude of that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and despite all the physical torture he was going through, it, it seems consistent that actually his most painful moment was when he was like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Absolutely. And when he became sin. Yeah. You know, I just, that just, I can't even conceive... Yeah, the well, of that. another call, I think it's in um, Psalms. It talks about um, sin being an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And also it talks about a uh, somebody being wrongfully accused as an abomination to the Lord. Mm. Um, or somebody, no, what is it? Yeah, somebody taking, taking the... Uh, Taking somebody's punishment, being innocent, is an abomination to the Lord. Right, yeah. So Jesus became that abomination to the Lord. Mm. And uh, at one point it says that uh, he will pour out his wrath on um, on the sin, on the sinners, right? Mm. So you've got this, who, the question is, I like to, I mean, I love Marvel, way eh? mm. And DC. question is, you know, who would be able to, who's the most powerful Marvel character? Is that be Thor? I guess so, yeah, I haven't actually thought of that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And and then there's nobody else but Thor, and, he, and he's about to whack you with his hammer. Who's the only person that could probably, probably take that whack? Another Thor. Mm. So for God to put, pour out his wrath on... Us on man, who's the only person that would survive God's wrath? Mm, mm. God. Mm, mm. <laughs> God can't take out himself. You know, like it yeah. sort of evens it, it evens it out. So the fact that Jesus, you know, died for us, he took on the the punishment that God was yeah. pouring on yeah. himself. Yeah, and he's the only person that would be able to do that and survive. Yeah. The rest of us, we wouldn't be able to get to the cross. We would die from the whippings. Oh, we would die from the beatings. We would die before we were pinned on the cross. Like that is the wrath of God plus the weight of the sin. Yeah. And then you know, like awesome. the only person that could survive that would was Jesus. Mm. Yeah. That's it. I just, I just, yeah. Yeah. Beyond my ability to comprehend that. <laughs> I, yeah. I just love thinking of like Jesus as like that superhero. Mm. You know. <laughs> I fully see him as a superhero. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap up, eh? Yeah, great.
Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, mate. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I look forward to doing this again. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have you on again. Um, and we'll get a couple of the other hosts to mm. have a chat with us as well. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening to the Jesus Magnet. Um, if you like this episode, stay tuned for more. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And um, yeah, just look up the Jesus Magnet if you've got any questions that you'd like for us or topics for us to cover. Let us know. We would love to do that. And yeah, we'll see you next time on the Jesus Magnet.